Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. Tom Moran here from Tom's Big Spiders. So I'm going to give everybody a warning that today, I didn't want to miss the podcast today, but I'm sitting here now, it's about an hour later than I usually start the podcast, and it's because we are having some severe weather around here. We're having downpours. I just literally went to start the podcast about a half hour ago, finally, because things had calmed down a bit, and then there was a clap of thunder in the background. I My tarantula room has a skylight, and the skylight is, I'm looking up at it, about five feet away from me, and it's just got the constant pitter-patter of rain coming down in the skylight that I'm afraid is going to be in here for background noise. Now, usually I go through at the end of the podcast, and I'm able to cut out some of the background noise, but it, the problem is with the rain right now, it's not too, too bad. Later on, it might be coming down more heavy, so we'll see if I can fit this one in. Worst case scenario, anyone listening to this, if you're trying to get to sleep and you're one of those folks that finds that rainy days make you sleepy, then put this on. You'll hear my voice and you'll hear the background pitter-patter of the rain and maybe that'll help you go to sleep. But in all seriousness, we're going to try to get through this podcast today, but I'm going to obviously apologize in advance to anyone who might be bothered by the sounds of rain. The funny thing is I went to do feeding yesterday and I didn't do it. I held off because every time I feed on a Saturday, a couple crickets escape. And then what I do is I take my cricket bin before the podcast. I remove it from the run, put it downstairs. And this time I'm like, all right, I'm not going to have to worry about there being an escape cricket that's going to chirp the whole time in the background. So we avoided that, but we've got the rain. So anyway, today we're going to cover a topic that I was kind of shocked that I haven't covered before because it was one of the ones I was researching many, many years ago. And then when I started coming up with the idea of putting together a book, I did a chapter talking about these. And I think if I'm really being honest with myself, I think part of the problem is every time I'd go to do this, I'd realize that people, every time you talk about something like this, especially these, like if I mentioned in the video about this, somebody will come on and go, well, I'm never going to get that kind of spider or they're, uh, they're terrified of them, which is not what we're trying to do here. My goal is always to get accurate information out there without any hyperbole without any exaggeration we we if there's a risk to be had in the hobby I like to lay it out there go here's what the risk is here's how to prevent this risk here's realistically what you can expect because people need this information before they get into the hobby so what we're going to be finally talking about today are urticating hairs or urticating sedai this is something I probably should have covered a long time ago and I always I, I, well, I shouldn't say always I often address it in my videos when I'm talking about new world species because we always will talk about the defensiveness of old worlds and I feel like when we're talking about new world species folks need to know that all right you may not be concerned as much with the venom but those urticating hairs or setae are nothing to be scoffed at. And the impetus for this podcast is honestly twofold. First off, I've had a lot of folks over the years ask me to cover urticating hairs more thoroughly. Secondly, after posting my recent video on old world species, I had a lot of folks chime in and comment that they actually avoid new worlds and keep exclusively old worlds particularly because of the new world urticating hairs. They can't stand the hairs. And I've actually had folks contact me, and this is not just a handful. There's been many over the years. Contact me to say, I can't keep these species anymore because the hairs bother me too much. Or in some extreme cases, folks that have been keeping for many, many years find they can't even walk into a room with tarantulas that have urticating hairs because they immediately start to have reactions. So that's something that isn't discussed a lot in the hobby because I think when we make our beginner species list, I don't think we're downplaying the threat of urticating hairs. I just think that in the grand scheme of things, people are more concerned with a bite. When you say hairs, like, oh, whatever, hairs. And I've had this discussion with people before. Like, don't take them for granted. Hairs are no joke. We've anybody that's had experience with hairs, they are not pleasant at all. They can be very, they can be dangerous under the right circumstances. I hate to use that word, but there are situations where they getting haired in a particular way could be more dangerous than getting a bite from a tarantula. So I think that with that in mind and the fact that let's call it as it is you are much I hate to put this out there but I mean I'm just trying to put this on the perspective you are much more likely to get haired if you are keeping new world tarantulas than you are to get bitten and I think that's a fact that isn't discussed very often and it's an important fact that you must consider because when we're talking about the dangerous quote-unquote dangerous aspects of the hobby the the Parts of the hobby that make, can make it a little scary for folks, we always jump right to how bad does the bite hurt? How bad is the venom? And we overlook 
the biggest defense of one whole giant group of spiders, which just happen to be, under most circumstances, are quote-unquote beginner species. So it's very important that we discuss this, and I'm kind of sorry that I haven't done it earlier. Again, it was one of those deals where I thought I had done it. I had it in my mind, because people were like, why don't you do it? I have done it. And somebody the other day emailed, and they were like, you know, I know you're looking for a ideas for podcasts. I would love to hear something on urticating hairs. And I was about to respond back, well, I already did one. And I finally went through my entire catalog. I'm like, oh my gosh, I've never done this before. So today our discussion is going to be about urticating setae or hairs, and I'm not going to get super duper technical on this one. I had taken notes years ago, and I got in all, I I get geeky where I start looking up papers and everything and reading all the specifics. We're going to try to frame it. I'm going to give some good details, I hope, but frame it so it'll be important information for anybody getting into the hobby that doesn't want to get it deep into the nitty gritty of it. So first off, like we said before, one thing that we want to make clear is, we, uh, clear is that we call them hairs when we see the hair-like structures on tarantulas. We call them hairs. They look furry. They look fuzzy. They're not really hairs at all. They are setae, which are bristles or structures that we call hairs, and they're found on tarantulas. I believe other, obviously, insects and invertebrates. I believe caterpillars. Some caterpillars have them, but we're talking about tarantulas, and they are they are basically the main defense mechanism for the majority of of new world tarantulas out there. And what's interesting about urticating setae is that if you put them under a microscope, you can see they look like medieval instruments of torture. They are barbed. They are meant to stick into skin. They are meant to be irritating. They are quite nasty. They are meant to stay. They're not meant to just come out. So urticating setae or hairs are found on obviously new world tarantulas' abdomens and in a few instances on their pedipalps. And they are used as a defense mechanism when they're threatened or to deter predation. This is basically their primary means of defense for the New World Tarantulas. They're not going to really rely. They can bite. And let's get that out there. New World Tarantulas can bite. Some species will bite. That's always a possibility. And I just want to throw this little tidbit in there. I don't care if a spider has really bad venom. A bite from a tarantula is going to stink. It's going to be terrible. It's going to hurt. They have big fangs. So let's get that in there. But the idea of these bristles or hairs is they cause physical and chemical pain and discomfort. So we're not just talking about the physical pain of this little barbed thing getting in your skin, but there's a chemical reaction in the skin that can be very, very irritating. And basically, these hairs for little spiders, when the slings are born, they form over time as the spider grows. They're usually located on a specific patch on the abdomen of the spider, meaning not all of the hairs on a spider's abdomen are urticating hairs or setae. There, there's a patch of the ones that they're able to kick off to defend themselves. So how do these work and how would these protect a spider that say something was trying to uh, attack or hunt? And I've had folks go, well, it seems like a pretty lame way to defend themselves. And it's anybody that says that is somebody that hasn't experienced these hairs before and doesn't think about the logistics of it. I think with humans, unless you're trying to kiss your spider, your parts that these would really do a number on, and we'll get to that later on the podcast when we talk about you know the real dangers of these, are far enough away from the spider that you're not going to be affected that way. So what you end up with is some pain, discomfort as it gets in your hand and arms, and we'll talk about what it feels like to get haired in a bit. But for an animal that is attacked, them. Imagine an animal comes up, it's sniffing around, it sees this, this prey at them, it thinks it wants to eat, and it gets up to them, and the spider turns around and kicks a cloud of urticating hairs to get right in the animal's face. So, face full of these bristles. Now, obviously, the contact with the skin around the face, that's going to be miserable. But that's not the dangerous part. The dangerous part is when they get these in their eyes or they get them in their nose, their throats, their mouths, in their air passages. That's something that goes beyond just irritation. That can cause death. It's nasty and it can kill an animal. So any animal that goes up and picture getting maced, but it's maced where it's a bunch of really barbed, irritating bristles that get into your throat in a way that when you go to take a deep breath, you can't even breathe. So it's no joke. Most animals would easily be deterred by that, allowing the spider to escape. So it's a very effective defense for this spider because bottom line, they know they're not going to, this is one thing that I know we can argue tarantula intelligence. They've been around for millions of years. In the very least, they've been involved in a way that they recognize what they can and can't do in a defense 
situation. And think about it. In a defense situation, if you're but if they're actually biting you and able to bite you, it means that animal is close enough to probably take a bite out of them. And it means that fight's gonna probably be over sooner than later. So if the animal comes up, bites onto the transfer, transfer turns around, bites it in the face, whatever, sure, that animal's gonna be in a lot of pain, but the damage has already been done. I I would think I don't think they cognitively realize, but I would think years of probably defending themselves against predators there is some hardwired recognition that if it gets to the point where they're able to use their fangs, it might be too late. So the idea that they can kick this cloud out a couple feet around them, get rid of the animal, and not take any actual damage is huge. So obviously, animal goes up, goes to bite it, gets, best case scenario, gets some of these in there, goes, oh, this is nasty, no bueno, runs away. Worst case scenario, gets a full face, throat, nose full of it, and that animal could be dead. So tarantula is also one thing that isn't mentioned quite a bit, and this is where it kind of impacts keeping, where people don't realize that it's not only a defense mechanism. Tarantulas will also use their hairs to protect themselves during a molt. If anybody has kept Theraphosa species and seen what they do when they're about to molt, it's amazing. They kick off all of their hairs, and on larger specimens, there are there is a copious amount of hair that comes off these spiders, like a blanket of hairs, and they roll in it. So their whole body is covered by these hairs, because think about it. When they flip the molt, they are completely exposed and vulnerable to predators. So if they're flipped over and there's nothing there to defend them, predator comes up, ooh, good, tasty snack. However, with these hairs, it goes sniffing around, gets some of these hairs, it knows, again, it's out of there, a spider can molt unaccosted. That's obviously a crucial defense mechanism for a large molting tarantula. Also, they will use the hairs, they will kick off the hairs to mark their territory, so to speak. So they make a burrow, they do some webbing around it, they kick hairs around that area. Again, it will some of the hairs will keep the inverts out, the other inverts and bugs and insects may get in there. And once again, if they kick off those hairs around and a mammal comes sniffing around, gets into its nose, irritating, gets out of there, that's something that's not mentioned. That does come into play with hobbyists, and we'll talk about that at the end of this podcast. And then many of them will use them, they'll weave them into the webbing around their structures, around their areas, around their dens, and some of them will even work some hairs into egg sacs to keep, again, predators or even the invertebrates from getting into the insect and killing, eating, or destroying their eggs. So very important tool, obviously one that goes above and beyond just the normal bite. They can still bite, but in this case, these are it's a very versatile tool for the spider to defend itself. Now, when you're talking about urticating hairs, it's, well, it's an interesting to note there are actually six identified types of urticating hairs on tarantulas. And I'm not going to get ultra specific on this one because A, it's a podcast and I think this is something that requires a visual. And B, I, I don't think all this information is absolutely necessary to, or impactful for somebody that's in the hobby. I would encourage folks to research this and get more information on it because I do think it's fascinating, but I'm going to try to stick to the more salient points as far as how this would impact a hobbyist and with the spiders in their collection. So the urticating hairs are labeled via Roman numerals. There's type 1, type 2, type 3, type 4, type 5, and type 6. And I believe they are categorized by their size and the structure of the barbs. And I believe also delivery and location. I could be a little off on that one, but they're categorized by the different traits they have. They have different traits, different ways they're applied, different sizes. I won't get into the sizes because it'll just be me rattling off numbers. But to go through just some details about the different types, type 1 and 3, I believe, are on Lasiodora, Acanthoscuria, and Gramostolus species. Type 2 are the ones that are applied with direct contact. These are the ones that Avicularia and Carabina versicolors have. They have witnessed Carabina versicolors actually kicking off type 2, but mostly they are applied by the spider by direct contact. The spider has to rub those hairs on you. And I've spoken before in length, I always find this funny when folks will post pictures of a little Avicularia or Carabina in their hand, and the Carabina is rubbing its booty all over them. They're like, look at it, it's giving me little booty kicks. No, the spider is trying to defend itself. It's hairing you. It's trying to make your life uncomfortable. So we often miss that one. Type 3 is Theraphosa and Nandu, as well as Megaphobema species, Cercopelma, Eupalastris, Prohapolopus, Brachypelma, uh, Chirotopholis, and Irisema species. I, some of those names, I honestly, I'm going to be completely honest, I haven't written down. I, I don't know spiders of those species that are in the hobby, but obviously Brachypelma, Eupalastris species, Cercopelma, Megaphobema, and Nandu, ones that we're all very familiar with. Type 4 are the shortest, I believe the shortest of the hairs, and they are on Avicularinae and Theraphosinae species. 
Type 5 on genus Ephibopus. They are located on their pedipalp, so something different. We always think about them being on the abdomens. I believe scientists think that they somehow work their way up. They originally were on the abdomens. This is an evolutionary thing where they move their way up onto the pedipalps so they can throw them off in a cloud. And then type 5 is on hemorrhagus. So seven types of hairs found on different species, found sometimes in combination. So for example, like the type 1 and 2 on Lazyodora, Canthoscuria, Gramostola. There, it's again. If you want to get more information on this, there's a lot of literature out there you can read. It's it's quite fascinating, but I don't want to have, turn the whole thing into a scientific discussion of it. Just some details here. The other thing I find interesting about the hairs is that it's believed scientists believe that the different types of hairs have evolved over time to be more effective against certain types of predators. So, for example. Type 3 is apparently quite effective against both invertebrates and vertebrates, wherein type 3 and 5 are more effective against mammals. I did read something somewhere that said type 1 was more, and I had this in my notes, but I couldn't find it again when I went to go research it, had was more effective against invertebrates. But the idea is it doesn't just work against mammals. It, it, other insects try to attack the egg sac, say. There's certain hairs that will actually kill those insects when they come on. So very important. Again, we're talking about you can't use venom. If you're an old world species, you can't really bite little teeny inverts that are attacking your eggs or attacking your nest. These can actually deter inverts or stop inverts where obviously fangs won't work. So I think that's incredibly cool. Again, really, there's a lot more than folks don't realize about urticane hairs that I think makes them incredibly fascinating. It's not just everybody has one type of hair and kicks it off. A lot of different things going on with the evolution of those hairs, what they're meant to target, why some species have multiple types of hairs, certain types of hairs for different situations. Incredible stuff. So the next question I often get asked when urticating hairs are brought up, which species have the worst urticating hairs? Now, if you take a poll of the hobby and people that have kept these for years, there are some standout genera or in some cases species that many folks have reported over the years are, are particularly nasty. And it's important to note that this is based on anecdotal information from keepers reporting on which species particularly bothered them. And there are some ones that seem to be that pop up rather prevalently when you talk about hairs. First one is genus Nandu. That's one that I had heard from the, a long time ago when I was researching about them, when I was looking at specifically Nandu chromatis, that the hairs were particularly nasty on that one. Theraphosa species, Theraphosa blondi, Sturmi, and Apophysis or Apophysis are recognized, widely recognized as having really, really nasty bad hairs. That's Those are pretty infamous. And then one species that gets thrown out there that I don't get, think gets enough attention, but I I've experienced it. I've spoken to many keepers that have experienced it, but the Brachypelma baby or Bomi, that's one that I hear a lot of folks say that they got haired by it and they were surprised by how nasty the hairs are. I will say that mine, I have two of them. Both of them are rather quick to kick hairs. And in my experiences, the hairs are pretty bad. So those are two genera, one species in particular, but here's where things get confusing and where it's difficult to make a list of the worst ones because everybody reacts differently to different species. And that's something that a lot of times isn't mentioned. So for example, I, Theraphos is supposedly very, very nasty hairs. I've heard folks say that they've gotten haired and it's lasted them for several days, including one case, a person had like three weeks of itching. It blistered. It was bleeding from them, scratching. It popped. It was nasty. And quite frankly, I've been haired by Theraphos before. I've gotten Theraphos a hair on me before. I just got, as a matter of fact, yesterday I got haired by my Sturmy. And was it itchy and irritating? Yeah. Was it really particularly bad? No. The one that got me, the one that I had the worst experience with, is actually a Lazyodora parahibana or the salmon bird eater. That was one that I got haired by my female during a rehousing a few years back. And it not only blistered my hands up, so it was on my hands for quite some time. It was a couple weeks before it healed up. But I accidentally got a little bit in my eye, which is not a good thing. And my eye literally looked like a they had ruptured blood vessels in it, like blood red in the corner of my eye, on my actual eyeball, the whites of my eyes was red. It was nasty, but particularly the my interactions with them, when I get them on my hands, it's nasty. So that's something to recognize with hairs that 
just because these are nasty for some people, they may not, not be nasty for you and vice versa. So I have folks that say, you know, I went into the hobby, I did all my research and I've decided these species here, I'm not going to ever ke- keep these species because the hairs are too nasty. Well, you don't know if they're going to impact you the same way as they may impact others. And then the species that you have on your list that you may think are the safe species may be the ones that you're actually super sensitive to. So it's kind of a crapshoot as to which species are going to impact which people. And that can make it confusing for folks because I've had people contact me and go, I don't understand it. I got haired the other day by my B. erratum, and I heard that these guys' hairs weren't bad, but my hands are all broken out. It's been three days. It's itching like crazy. I'm blistering. Yeah, that's the truth of it. It's, it all depends on the individual's or the keeper's body chemistry, how these particular hairs or which particular hairs are really going to impact them. So that's something that always needs to be noted. Another thing that needs to be noted is some folks seem to be more resilient when they get hair. It doesn't bother them as much. Other folks folks seem to be immediately more sensitive to it. I spoke to one keeper years ago. I felt terrible. She couldn't wait to get in the hobby. She amassed a collection of a smaller, modest collection of some of the quote-unquote beginner species, you know, some of Fonapelma, Gramostola, Brachypelma species. I think she might have had an Acanthoscuria geniculata. And then a couple of years later, she contacted me asking me if I wanted to get take some of the animals off her hand because she couldn't deal with it. It was just killing her skin. She was breaking out. That's a legitimate issue. So again, we talk about venom all the time, but we need to talk about this side of it because it's something that people need to at least be aware of and prep for in advance, mentally prep for the fact that, okay, some of these species I may be more sensitive to than others. Another point that needs to be made about tarantula hairs, and I've run into this a lot more lately than I have. I've run into it quite a bit over the years, but it's been happening a lot more lately. Folks generally don't become less sensitive or get used to the hairs over time. You become more sensitive to it. Your body gets to a point where you maybe get haired and it's a mild irritation. And a couple of years go by, you start finding you get haired. Hey, it's a little, a little more severe this time. It's weird. I got haired by that one before. It wasn't bad, but now it's really bothering me. Then you get to a point where you're just around the spiders and there's some hairs. You know, when you're working with them, the hairs are going to get airborne by you breathing on them by you know if there's any circulation in the room whatever and then there's folks that get to a point where they can't even enter a room that contains new world tarantulas without itching terribly and I've spoken to many keepers over the years who eventually find they have to get rid of either certain species that they can't be around so a lot of times it ends up being the theraphosa species and I have heard this from several folks they can't keep theraphosa anymore because they look at the theraphosa and they're burning and itching and that's that's kind of terrible. I can't imagine because I love theraphosa species. But with other folks, it's just new worlds in general. So this is one thing that did come out when I put up the old world video. And it, it was mentioned a few times, folks that don't even keep new worlds either period or anymore because of the fact they became way too sensitive to the hairs. They only keep old world species. So have folks come on and go, yeah, I know you're supposed to start with beginner species, but I got a couple. The hairs killed me. So I moved immediately into old worlds. And I love the fact I don't have to deal with the hairs. I'm not worried about the venom. I'm not worried about the bites because I can easily work with them, I'm more, I would be more concerned with the hairs. So that's something that I think is very powerful and people need to think about because I'm telling you, I've heard from people, I remember the first guy I ever heard from, I think he had kept for 25 years, and this was years ago, so this guy had been keeping for a long, long time, and he said it got to the point one day where he couldn't walk into his tarantula room without being in extreme discomfort, itching, burning on his neck, his face, his eyes, his nose, everything burned and itch, and he had to basically get rid of all of his New World tarantulas and shift to keeping all old world tarantulas. So that's something, and I'm not, I want to make this, I always got to put these little disclaimers in there because I don't want people walking away from this going, Tom just said that you're not going to be able to keep new worlds forever. Tom just said everybody's going to end up getting irritated. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that there are a lot of variables in terms of people's sensitivity, how long they keep them, how many times they're exposed to the hair that can lead to situations where you can no longer bear even being around them. And I think it's important to consider that. Another reason to keep that in mind is I will have folks come on and there'll always be, I had every time I talk about hairs, there's always this one guy that'll come on and go, I don't think you get less used to them. I get more used to them. Okay, buddy. Perfect. Awesome. Maybe you do. Maybe, maybe you got a rare chemistry type in your skin, or your body that you actually take them in and they get easier to take. That's not what the majority of people report. So I want to make that very clear. It always drives me nuts. I mean, if somebody came out and said, well, I guess I'm lucky. They don't bother me. That's great. But what will happen is people will come on and try to discount that. Well, I don't think that's true. It's true. It's, it's been reported many times by many different people. And it should be or it can be a legitimate concern for keep people that are keeping New World Tarantulas. 
So why is this information so important to know? Well, unfortunately, I'll get a lot of people that will will talk about tarantulas' defense mechanisms. They'll be like, I don't want to get old worlds uh, because I'm afraid of the bite, but new worlds obviously are safe. There's no issue. And they'll mention the hairs. They go, I'm not worried about hairs. And that's a problem because people that aren't worried about hairs are going to end up putting themselves in positions where they're going to be exposed to hairs more than they need to be. And I think that's where I want to frame this podcast around is the fact that I'm not telling you not to keep them. Obviously not. I love my New World species. I can't imagine not being able to keep New World species. I'm not telling you to be unnecessarily afraid of them. That's not it at all. What I'm telling you is they're not to be scoffed at, and you need to make sure you take precautions as a keeper as you move through the hobby to make sure that you're not overexposed to them. Because people that sit there and get haired a lot, and they're like, oh, it wasn't that bad. I itched for a little bit. You're going to get to a point, or many are going to get to a point where that's going to become unbearable, and you're going to ruin the hobby for yourself. So I think that's why I kind of want to go through this a little bit to kind of get that information out there so people are more careful. So the question is, where would you encounter these hairs? As a keeper, I've got new worlds now. How do I protect myself? What do I do to make sure that I limit my exposure to these hairs? What are the situations that I'm going to find myself in where I could be exposed to the hairs? So with those questions in mind, let's go through some of the situations where a keeper is most likely to be exposed to urticating hairs. Number one, well, not number one, it's not in any particular order, but those that handle. Obviously, if your hand is in there, you're holding the spider in your bare hand, the spider can have hairs on it from just ones it's kicked around its enclosure. It could kick hairs. I had one person that told me they were kicking, they were kicking, yeah, they were kicking their uh, T. albopilosis. They were handling their T. albopilosis and everything was going fine. And then suddenly the spider stopped. It got breathed on the wrong way and kicked a bunch of hair onto their wrist and forearm, I believe. And it was a little irritating. It wasn't huge, but that's a situation that obviously is going to put you in direct contact or potential direct contact with those urticating bristles. The other one, another one that is, I think really puts you in a position to be exposed to the hair is rehousings. Rehousings are when I find that I'm most likely to get some of those hairs on me because you're disturbing the spider. You're, you could be triggering the spider's defenses. So if you're doing a new world species, it's out in the open. You go to usher, you know, poke it with a, I don't know, paintbrush to try to get it to go where you want to go. It doesn't want to move. It gets scared or it feels like it's threatened. It kicks off those hairs, lets them fly. That's a spot where you can be exposed to them. Another thing when you're doing rehousings, you want to be careful of how much airflow is in the room. And by that, I mean, don't make the mistake Billy and I did years ago. It only actually got to me, but she could have been impacted by this. We used to do, in my old YouTube videos, we would do all the rehousings on, on my dinner table that was under a ceiling fan. And sometimes we'd get out there, I'd start doing the rehousings, and I would have forgotten to turn off the ceiling fan. And obviously that flow of air is going to hit the hairs that are in the substrate, in the actual enclosure, and rustle them up. And I've had situations where after rehousing, I'm editing the video like, man, why am I so itchy? And I realized that I had it under the ceiling fan, kicked the hair up. The other thing is if somebody's coming, if you're in a smaller room and somebody's coming in and out and opening and closing the door, believe it or not, that can cause that rush of air that can stir up those little hairs. So that's something to be aware of. One big rule of thumb when doing rehousings, always assume that if it's a new world species that has urticating hairs, because we'll talk about some of the ones that don't later on. Always assume that there are hairs in the substrate. There are hairs in the webbing. There are hairs all around that enclosure. So you want to make sure you're not touching the substrate with your bare hands. You don't want to stir up the substrate and have those bristles go airborne. You want to be very, very careful. Assume if there's webbing in there. I know I've seen folks take out the webbing like, oh, look at all this webbing. There could be hairs in the webbing. You want to keep your hands away from that material and you want to make sure you're not stirring up any of those hairs that are in there because when it comes down to it, I get asked this a lot. When they kick, how I have folks go, how far do those hairs go? Well, it depends on a lot of things. If they just kick the hairs, if you've ever, I've actually caught it on video before, you're talking about a, a one to maybe even two foot cloud around the spider. So a, a decent size area, but they're only going to go so far. However, if you have a fan in the room, if you have a lot of airflow, if there's a breeze coming through, if somebody's opening doors, those hairs go airborne, they go everywhere. So I've had hairs get disturbed and end up on the back of my neck and my ears, on my face you can feel them so that's something to keep in mind the actual kick can be kind of contained rather easily so a little tip if you're rehousing a tarantula this is one of the reasons I absolutely love catch cups if you're using catch cups and you put it over the spider, A, as we've talked about many times before, it cuts down the airflow around the spider. The spider usually feels much more secure and is less likely to kick. 
B, if it's kicking, you put the catch cup over, it contains it. So put the catch cup over it, let the spider kick, slide your cardboard under, you're kind of containing that. Just make sure, tip number two, you wash out your catch cup. And if you don't want to get hairs off of that piece of cardboard, a lot of times if I really get something like, they're really kicking hairs, I throw the piece of cardboard away. I get a new one for the next time so I don't have those hairs on me because I have made the mistake before where I've done a rehousing. I meant to throw away the cardboard. Next rehousing, I whip out the cardboard, pick it up, get the spider. I'm like, why am I itching? The spider didn't even kick. It was because of an older rehousing. So little ticks, uh, tips there as far as making sure you're not unnecessarily exposing yourself to those hairs. Another spot where a keeper is likely or more likely to get exposed to hairs is during routine maintenance and even feeding. With feeding, I've had spiders where in that, they're in that standby mode. You drop in a prey at them and all of a sudden they freak out and they don't know what's going on for a minute. And they either throw up a threat posture or I'll have some that'll sit there. A cricket will come by their legs and they start kicking hairs. So that's a spot to watch. I just had it happen the other day where I was feeding my Therophosa apophysis. I dropped a cricket in. She grabbed the first cricket. I dropped the second cricket in. It approached from behind and she kicked hairs. So that's something to keep in mind. Another thing, refilling water dishes. If you startle them, obviously there's people out there, YouTubers that make a career out of pouring water in small enclosures and aggravating the spiders going, oh, look at how evil they are. That's another spot where you're doing any type of maintenance, picking out boluses, cleaning up poo on the, the substrate, cutting out old webbing, whatever it may be. That's a spot where they may feel disturbed, they may feel threatened, and may do some kicking. So those are all spots anytime you're interacting with your spider, there is a potential for that. Even if you haven't seen them kick. Now, one thing I like to point out to folks is that just because your tarantula isn't bald doesn't mean that it hasn't kicked hairs. If you have a new world species, assume there's some new hair, there's some hairs in there. Another thing is to keep in mind when you get a new spider, a lot of times with new world species, they will you'll put them in their enclosure and all of a sudden within a matter of weeks, you haven't seen them kick any hairs, but they're completely bald. A, that's normal. B, that's a heads up that those hairs are in that enclosure. As we talked about earlier, they will use their setae to mark their territory to protect their openings of their dens, their areas. So when you put them in a new enclosure, that new enclosure becomes their home. They lay that trap. They kick some of those hairs out. So that's totally natural. If you put your spider in there, I've had folks go, I don't know what happened. I put it in. It's been a month. She's completely bald. Is she stressed? Nope. That's what they do. Will she do it after the next molt? Most likely not. The majority of mine that do it, they do it once. They kick all the hairs off around their new home and then they molt again and they're fine. So that's one of those things, kind of a heads up. Those hairs don't just disappear. They are in that environment. They're in that enclosure. And every time you open it, they can come out of the enclosure, they can become airborne, or even something as innocuous as reaching in and grabbing a water dish. I've gotten them off of water dishes before, where you pick up a water dish, wash it out, put it back in, a few seconds later, the tips of your fingers are a little itchy. All spots to keep in mind. And again, not doing this is a, oh my gosh, these are terrible. Just this is basic things that if you think about, you can protect yourself. Another spot where I've heard of folks getting severely haired is when retrieving old molts. Many species will kick a little blanket of hair beneath them. Therophosa are notorious for this. If you've ever seen a large Therophosa species molt, it's amazing. The first time I saw this, I couldn't figure out what the heck happened to my spider. I opened up a Therophosa sturmy enclosure, and it looked like it was covered in wool. And what it, they do is they kick off all of that, those urticating setae off of their abdomen into a blanket, and they basically roll in it so it's on their bottoms, it's on their tops, and when they flip over... They are covered with hair. So what folks don't realize is they're so eager to retrieve those molts. They reach in, they grab that molt, and they're playing with it, opening up. Those hairs go everywhere. So what I usually do is if I'm trying to get a Therophosa molt out that I want to keep, and I do love to keep them because they're huge, and they're the ones I like showing off to people, I carefully, gloves, long sleeves, and I carefully take it out with tongs, and I put it into a bowl of water. I try to wash those hairs off it, keep them from going airborne, rinse it completely, and then I start working with it to stretch it out to see what it looks like. And I've had good luck doing that. And that's not the only species that has done that. I have often grabbed molts out, not thinking about it. And later on, they're like, why are my hands are itching? Some of them will kick those hairs. Even just molting, even if they didn't kick hairs before the molt, they molt, they flip over, they're laying in that area where they've already kicked a bunch of hairs. There's going to be hairs on the molt. So keep that in mind, especially if you're passing molts around to people like, hey, check out this molt. You don't want to hand a molt to somebody that's covered in hair unknowingly and have them get itchy and stuff. That's just incredibly unpleasant. Not a good way to be an ambassador to keeping tarantulas. So the moral to this story is 
Whether you see them, whether you see it kick, whether you know it or not, hairs are always around, always present, and you should always treat all your new worlds as if there are hairs everywhere. And that may sound like overkill, but again, we're talking about longevity in the hobby, longevity in keeping new world tarantulas, and trying to limit our exposure to it. So what are some precautions we can take as hobbyists to ensure that we don't get exposed to these hairs to a point where we can't take them anymore? What are some ways we can reduce our exposure? exposure to them. Well, number one, when working with your tarantulas, airflow. I, I want to put that one out there again. When you're opening the tops of the enclosures, if they're in a room with a fan, if they're in a room, there's a lot of traffic, people going around, be careful, try to reduce traffic, reduce opening and closing doors. If the windows are open, there's a breeze coming in. You don't want that. If your air conditioner is running, well, obviously you don't want an air conditioner blowing on a spider, but if there's a fan in the room, a ceiling fan, be careful about that. Make sure that you're opening them up in an environment where there isn't a lot of extra airflow. Number two, you can always protect yourself by wearing gloves. I used to have the vinyl gloves. I've worn latex gloves and long sleeves go a long way. You'll often see me in rehouses with species that I think are probably going to kick that I will have gloves on and I will have sleeves and I will inevitably have some bonehead that comes on and goes, oh, will you wish you can't deal with the hairs? No, you idiot. I love the hobby and I want to be able to keep these guys years to come and there's no need in getting haired for no reason. No, I don't like being uncomfortable for no reason. So if you're into that, man, hey, let your freak flag fly. Not my deal. And you can also, I've had people ask before, should I wear safety glasses? You know what? I've had people make fun of people for wearing safety glasses. I don't make fun of people for wearing safety glasses. If you want to be completely, I can tell you that only one time I got it in my eye, the one time it happened with the L pair high bandit, it was because I got haired in my hand and I scratched my eye. So I delivered it to my eye. If I'd had glasses on, probably wouldn't happen. Although I probably would have went under the glasses to scratch my eye anyway. But that's something to keep in mind. But if somebody wants to wear glasses just in case, that's fine. I've had folks say, should I wear a respirator? I think that would, for me, that would fall under overkill, but would I fault anybody who would do it? No, you're being careful. Do I have, have I breathed? Do I think I have I breathed in hairs before? I think I have. I It's unpleasant. You can feel like a tickling in the back of your throat. You breathe in heavy. You cough. And it's right after rehousing, so I assume that's what it was. But again, I think in most cases, if you're keeping that airflow down, the air, the hair shouldn't get up that high, but throwing on a mask probably wouldn't hurt. And I would not make fun of anybody for doing it. Again, it, it depends on whatever you're comfortable with and who cares? It's in your own home. If you want to suit completely up, that's for you. I've had people go, should I put on Tyvek? I wore Tyvek for years. I worked in paint and fiberglass on boats for years. Tyvek was like my uniform. I can't stand wearing Tyvek anymore. I think that's for me, that would be overkill, but I wouldn't blame somebody that would use it. And honestly, all of these are very easy preventative measures. Throwing on a pair of gloves, that's just smart. Even if you're just doing some rehousing. I know people that anytime they feed, not rehousing, if you're doing just maintenance or feeding, anytime you're just doing something simple like that, I know people that will throw on the gloves just in case. That's smart as far as I'm concerned. You're not taking any chances. Anytime you prevent those hairs getting on you, for many people, you are increasing your longevity in the hobby. You're increasing at least as far as keeping New World Tarantula is a concern. Another thing to keep in mind, because I have done, again, we're talking about my personal experiences with them as well, the proof that this isn't just malarkey, that there is truth to it, dumping the substrate. I have fallen into this trap before where a lot of times I do my rehousing it's the summertime, I'm wearing shorts, I have a basically in the woods a big pile of all the old substrate I have, I keep it kind of away from the driveway in the house, and what I would do is I would go out and I would dump the substrate, and if the substrate is dry... That dust and those hairs get kicked up. I've gone back in the house a few minutes later and be like, why are my legs so itchy? So again, maybe wearing long pants when you do that, be extra careful when you dump the substrate. You know, Now what I try to do is I dump it right over the pile so I'm not dumping it from high up so it just all blows out in a cloud. So again, although it sounds kind of over the top, when you're dealing with them, long sleeves, gloves, Pants, if you think you're going to be kicking up dust and hairs, I wouldn't mind putting on a mask. You don't have to go crazy. I don't think you need full respirator, but just something to protect it from getting into your system. All good ways to protect yourself. I think the best thing with urticating hairs, or the, the smartest way to approach it, is to try not to get exposed. Don't get them on you. And although we've gone through all these ways that you could be exposed to them, what I hope people are hearing is that they are preventable. If you make a little checklist, if you're listening to this podcast and you're getting into the hobby and you're like, oh gosh, I didn't know any of this stuff, take some notes. I mean, I think that would be the best way. These are a little checklist of things to make sure that you're keeping in the back of your mind, that you're being cognizant of when you're working with your spiders to make sure that you're not exposed to them. Now, another question I often get asked is, Tom, I've been exposed. Actually, my son just asked me this because I got haired with the 
the Theraphosis Sturmy the other night, and he's like, what can you do about this? I've been haired. What can I do now? And honestly, there's a list of things out there that people have tried and that supposedly work. I think it all, again, depends on the individual and their body chemistry and what type of reaction. But I think it's important to keep in mind that there is, as we mentioned earlier, there is a mechanical irritation because of the fact they are barbs. They're in the skin. If you get them in there and run your hand over the spot, sometimes you can feel like they're catching, almost like it's often been compared to having fiberglass dust in your skin. And again, having worked with fiberglass for years, I can tell you, yes, it's very similar where it's burning, but you can also feel it when you rub your hand over that there are little barbs sticking out of there. And then there is the chemical irritant, the fact that they are going to produce a chemical inside your skin that's going to make them burn, sometimes itch or itch, burn, sometimes blister. That should all be kept in mind. So one thing that some folks say is that if it's really bothering you, itching really bad, Benadryl will help. I've heard of folks putting a thin layer of hydrocortisone cream over the area to help with the burning and the itching and the swelling. I've Some people have said that putting tape over it, so it's really sticky tape. I've heard some people say they use duct tape. Granted, if it's on your arms, you're going to rip a lot of hairs out of your arms. But the thought process is the tape will catch some of those barbs and pull them out of your skin. I can tell you one thing that sometimes helps, and this worked, we used to do this with fiberglass, is you take a cold shower because it closes off your pores and keeps more of the barbs from getting into your skin. That's something that I've heard folks say that can sometimes help. And then I've heard people say that putting petroleum jelly on the area can help a bit. I don't know if that maybe helps hold down the, you know, the mechanical irritant by keeping the part that's sticking out. I don't know why that would work, but some folks swear by it. So those are all things that you can do. Again, with most folks, it's going to be a minor irritant for a day or so. In most cases, you get really majorly haired or have a reaction to it. You can talk about several days. Some folks have had it basically to the point where it's affected them for weeks. I did read a couple instances where people were majorly haired by Theraphosis species, like all over them. I don't know how this happens, quite frankly, but hair on their arms, their face, their back, their chest, because apparently they were feeling manly and rehousing their spiders shirtless. I don't know, but they said it was so bad they couldn't sleep. In one case, the person went to the hospital for it. So that's something to keep in mind. That's no joke. Again, I wouldn't be up there shirtless playing with my spiders, but hey, to each his or her own. But I think it's important to keep in mind most folks aren't going to have, especially with the the quote-unquote beginner species, the Gramostoa, most of the Brachypelma, Afonopelma species, they generally are, most folks report very mild side effects from the herring. A little itching. I can tell you get a little, I get like a little tingling. That's about it. With the exception of the baby where I, that, those babies, and I used to think it was just me. Babies can be pretty nasty. And I'm glad that it wasn't just me when I heard from other people that, yeah, they've gotten hair by their babies. They seem to be a little more likely to kick and the hair seem to be a little nastier. So that's something to keep in mind. But for most of those species, it's not a big deal right off the bat as long as you're being careful as a keeper and protecting yourself. So again, the big message I want to come out of this isn't, oh my gosh, I know I, one of the reasons I didn't want to do this is because again, every time I mention them, there are people that swear off new world species. I don't even want, I've heard about the hairs, they're terrible. They're going to break, you don't know. I've heard people say, well, I'm allergic to bee stings. So therefore I'm going to be really allergic to the hairs. There's no correlation between bee or wasp venom and tarantula urticating sedi. That's comparing apples to Buicks. I don't know. It's just that they're not connected. It's not the same thing. Now, if you have very sensitive skin, that could be something that could be an issue. I can tell you, I have a lot of allergies. I'm very allergic to a lot of different plants and things around me. I think I mentioned this before. I had the allergy test years ago, and it's one where they prick your arm with a bunch of different things, and they're like, if any of these bump up, it means you're allergic, and like one whole arm lit up like a Christmas tree. Like every one of them was lit up. And I don't really, I'm not over, knock on wood, it's been years, and I'm not overly sensitive to them. So there is no real correlation between having seasonal allergies or hay fever or you know allergies of different plants in your area and being super sensitive or allergic to spiders. It seems to be two totally different things. So that's something I've had folks say, well, I have really bad hay fever, so I'm not going to take the chance. It doesn't necessarily, there's no real connection. You're not sure. So I'm telling you, I have really bad hay fever. I have all these allergies, all these plants around me, no issues with them. So something to keep in mind. So the name of the game here is not avoidance to go, well, forget that. I'm not going to try it. The name of the game here is be a responsible keeper. 
Have safe practices when working with your spiders. Limit your exposure to them. That's a big one. The longer, the more you limit your exposure, the longer you can be in the hobby. I've been doing this for years. I am nowhere near a point where I walk into a room and go, oh gosh, I can't keep these anymore. It's, it's knock on wood. Could it happen someday? It absolutely, I would literally knock on wood. So hopefully I didn't come across the podcast. Could it happen someday? Sure it could. And that's something always in the back of my mind, but that's why I try to be extra careful when I'm working with these guys, when I'm rehousing and people that get into the hobby and start right off the bat being careful. Again, you may not ever have a problem. And that's something that should be mentioned too. There are people that have kept these animals for decades and have no issues with them whatsoever. It's not necessarily going to happen, but it's something you should have in the back of your mind. So you take those precautions, you take preventative measures to make sure you're not exposed to them. So personal experiences with, you know, overall, again, we talk, I say this kind of the end because it's not supposed to be about me, but just my experiences with a hobby. Again, as I said, really bad allergies, not bad yet. There is one genus that tends to be an issue for me. That is Zenestis. I've mentioned before that anytime I open up a Zenestis enclosure or go to feed them, whether they're kicking or not, I get this overall tingling all over my arms, my hands, which is why I've been wearing long sleeves and gloves when I work with them now. But even sometimes on the back of my neck, I'll feel a tingling that feels a lot like when I used to work in fiberglass and you'd have it in your skin and a breeze would go and you feel it in the back of your neck. Like, Ugh. So that's one I got to be cautious of. And that's what I've noticed I'm a little extra sensitive to. As I mentioned before, Theraphosa, not, I got haired, pretty, not bad. It was, it was a herring though. I don't usually get herring. I sometimes have gotten hairs on me, but I was feeding my Theraphosa Sturmy yesterday and I opened up the top and I had the top half on to kind of block it. And what happened was I dropped some crickets in. I thought it was eating and I went to grab the water dish with a pair of tongs behind it. And I kept the water dish slipped out of the tongs. So I reached for it again, look over and I realized it was kicking the entire time. So I got it on my wrist. I'm looking at it now. A couple little bumps, a little itchy. It was a little itchy yesterday. Not terrible. However, when I got haired that time by my Lazydora parahibana, those that was bad. That was on my finger. I didn't get haired much at all, but it was on my fingers. It got really bumpy. I scratched the point where there was like little blisters and they bled. Like it was it was pretty nasty and like I said, like a doofus, I scratched my eye and got it in my eye. So that was something. But overall, I've only been truly haired a handful of times. So I mean truly haired, it was nothing major like full direct all over my hand, just something kicked and I got a little hair on me a couple times. As I've told you, I dumped substrate out. I've had the fan go off and kind of blow hair up, things like that. Those are all things that, you know, again, could have been avoided. And those are all things that years from now, if I'm like, I can't keep these anymore, I'll be looking back at like, thinking to myself, I should have been more careful. I should have took the hairs more seriously. Now for our final point, I don't get asked this very often, but I think folks are shocked to find out that there are actually new world species with no urticating tie. There are actually, I believe, over 100 species out there, New World species that lack urticating hairs. So I'm not going to go through every single one of these, but what I will mention, a couple of them are whole genera, and they're popular in the hobby. A couple of them, it's individual species, and I'll name off the ones that I have that aren't particularly common. But Salmopius, Tapitacinius, Amazonius, I I have to admit, I have Pseudoclamorous down, but I'm not sure if they've all been reclassified as Amazonius. But if you have anything labeled as Pseudoclamorous, those are ones. Katamiri, the parvum that I have and absolutely love, which I believe there was a study showing that they were more, they were closer to old world species than new world species. Like a lot of the, when they studied them, they they presented more like an old world species. Delicatheli, so Delicatheli diamantinensis, which I was actually recently called out. I put up my dwarf video on YouTube and I mentioned that I'd never seen mine kick. Well, derp, I should have known better. And I did know, I'd written about it before, that they don't have urticating hairs. Neoholotheli, uh, Heterotheli is mentioned, but if I'm not mistaken, they're mostly African species. So that would be old world, but I think there's one that's considered a new world species that's in maybe South America. And if I'm not mistaken, that one's probably one that's going to get reclassified eventually. So obviously, if you're buying a heterotheli species from Africa, that's, that doesn't count. Obviously, it doesn't have any. But one thing to keep in mind with the species is a lot of folks are like, oh, good, I'll keep a species that doesn't have them. Keep in mind, there have been discussions and there's been speculation that the New World species that don't, that lack the urticating cetai also will have potentially more potent venom. Has it been proven? I don't believe so, but I know for years they've said Tapitacinius and Salmopius, their bites are nastier than your normal New World species. I'm not sure about Katamiri, Delicatheli, not sure, Neoholotheli, again, not sure. It's A lot of it, I think, is just based on the idea that if they don't have that particular way to defend themselves, 
it would be logical to assume they might have that more potent bite. So that's something to keep in mind. The other thing to keep in mind is that these species mentioned here tend to have a lot more speed than your average New World species. And the fact that they could be a little bit more defensive and maybe more inclined to use their fangs, especially if it is true that they have more potent venom. So things to keep in mind that, yes, you're going to be trading off. You won't have to worry with those hairs, but you are dealing with potentially a species of spider or type of spider that's going to act a lot like a an old world, to be completely blunt. So something to keep in mind. As for the other genera that also lack the urticating hairs, I am going to butcher some of these names. I'm just going to call myself out on it because I'm not familiar with some of them. But we have Acanthropelma, that I can do, Euthcalis, Giruta, Sicius, Schismatotheli, Holotheli, Isnoculus, Reichlegia, and Trichopelma. That's the best I can do. Sorry. Uh, some of those you might see in the hobby, but just not as the ones that I listed before are the ones that are more commonly in the hobby and more commonly kept. So there are those. Now to end this one off, I've had folks ask, again, we've kind of alluded to this, but what does it feel like? It can depend. I know sometimes when I'm up there, what it feels like is almost like a tingling or burning on my skin. So I, it won't be an intense feeling, but you feel this kind of tingling all around you like, all right, there's some hairs in here. For folks that get, you know, the actual hairs on their hands or whatever, you're talking about itching is the most common side effect. Burning, some people will get rashes around the area, so the skin will kind of break out into a rash. In extreme cases, you'll get blistering with blisters that pop and blister. I've heard folks say that, again, the fiberglass one, I agree with the fiberglass one wholeheartedly, feels a lot like fiberglass. Some of the, you know, the less nasty herring feels like fiberglass. I've had some folks say it feels like poison ivy. I've had poison ivy before in my hands and between my fingers. And a lot of times if you get haired and get in between your fingers, it has the same type of feeling. But that's usually what you can expect from it. So I feel like I missed something. It was so much I wanted to cover on this one. And I took notes, but I feel like I'm missing something. So I'm sure somebody will call me out if I did, but we can always get to it in the next episode. But that is my my report on urticating hairs. And again, I share this because should you avoid new world species because of urticating hairs? Heck no. Do the majority of people in the hobby have to stop keeping them because of the hairs? No. Are there people out there who do? Yes. And that's why we should all take the same precautions when working with our new world species. Recognize that the urticating hairs are not something to be trifled with, are not something to be scoffed at, that a bite is not the only bad thing that can happen from keeping tarantulas. And the same way we have, you know, I've done whole podcasts and videos on how to prevent getting bitten, follow those good techniques to keep from getting haired. Will you get exposed to them eventually? You may, and I think a lot of people do, but I also know a lot of people that will tell you, yeah, I had this one experience and they've been keeping for years. So is it avoidable? Yes. And unfortunately, again, always keep in the back of your mind, you could be one of those people that has basically a clock is ticking when you start keeping them of how long you'll be able to keep them and remain comfortable. So you always want to lower your chances of exposure when at all possible. Don't get cocky because, and I've heard this from people before, oh, I'm fine. They don't bother me at all. They don't bother you now until they start bothering you. And then that's when people, and I spoke to one keeper in particular who said, you know what, I used to rehouse these in shorts, short sleeves. I get haired. It didn't bother me. I'd laugh. He eventually had to get rid of all of his new worlds because he couldn't take it anymore. So keep that in the back of your mind. So again, we are, Tom's Big Spiders are not for scaring people. We're not for alarming people. We're for getting that information out there so people can make good, rational, informed choices and basically enjoy the hobby in the safest way possible. So that will do it for this podcast on urticating hairs. Hopefully you guys all learned something. For those of you who have been around for a while, Hopefully it was just a refresher course for those of you who are just getting into tarantulas. Hopefully I gave you the information out there to recognize that the threat can be avoided in most circumstances and enjoy your spiders. Just do so safely. As always, you can find me on Thomas Big Spiders, the podcast on YouTube. I just posted the video version. I believe I did the podcast of my dwarf species, Tom's Little Spiders. We did the YouTube version of it, which is, I, I'm glad we finally got this one out there because I am not against keeping the smaller tarantulas. I know some people are. I get it. Bigger is better. That's the motto for a lot of people getting into it. It was my motto for quite some time. But I'm glad to hear people come out and report that, you know, which species they have and they've kept that they enjoy. And I like the fact there are some people going, you know what? I didn't really give it a lot of thought, but I've seen some really cool spiders I want to check out. That's what it's all about. Getting the information out there so that people can make informed decisions. 
That will do it for this one. Hopefully the rain in the background wasn't too bad. It went from being just a slight trickle to full downpour during the course of this. I'm going to try to edit out most of the background noise. Worst case scenario, a little ASMR of the rain falling in the background. Guys, stay safe. We'll catch you all next time.